The reading is taken from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Colm, very much. Uh, just before we start the sermon, before I pray, I'm going to ask the stewarding team to come around and pass out a picture, the famous picture of Jesus as the light of the world that's taken from uh, these verses. Uh, so we'll pass these round, starting front and back, left and right, as quickly as we can. Um, and I'll say a few words of introduction. On the front of them, you've got a picture. On the back, there's some space where I'm going to invite you to write a response at the end of today's sermon. Uh, we've also got some biros that are going to come round as well, so some of you will have pens in your jackets or handbags, others of you won't, and there'll be some biros coming round. And uh, I shall flannel a bit while that's happening, and then we'll get going. Well, perhaps flannel would be uh, an unworthy word, because actually I've prepared what I'm going to say, uh, and I think the Lord's given it to me. <laughs> Uh, today is the feast, just by way of introduction, today is the feast of Christ the King. Uh, I love this Sunday, uh, found it a few years ago. In more traditional churches, they've celebrated the Sunday before Advent as the feast of Christ the King for years. Uh, we tend to sort of reconnect with the church's year at Advent Sunday and follow through Christmas. But this Sunday in the year, when all around the world churches are celebrating that Jesus is the King, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, 
has struck me as a wonderful Sunday to do our Commitment Sunday on as we, at the end of the sermon, I shall invite you to surrender your lives afresh to Jesus as your Lord and King. I was at a conference a few weeks ago and chatting to uh, another preacher over breakfast. Uh, uh, He'd mentioned the Feast of Christ the King and he told a wonderful story. He said, I was halfway through preparing my sermon uh, and I got back the next day, fired up the computer and up it came and there was a wonderful typo. On the top of my sermon it said, Christ the Kind. Now that is a beautiful typo, as it were, because Christ is the King, Jesus is the King. But Jesus is also the one who is utterly kind and loving and gracious. And the glorious paradox is that the more we submit our lives to his kingly rule, the more we experience of his loving kindness and grace and strength. Uh, And in the terms of today's picture, the more we let him into the house of our life, the more we enjoy fellowship with him. And the converse is true. The more we resist his kingly rule, uh, the more we determine to go our own way, the less we experience of his kindness and his love. He is indeed Jesus Christ the king, and he is Jesus Christ the kind. So let's just pause and pray that he will come and speak to us today. Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. We praise you that you are full of love for us. You long for us to be the people you've made us to be, filled with your spirit, living your way with you as our Lord and King. So send your spirit on us today, on me as I preach, on us as we listen to what you are saying. And whether we've been Christians for many years or this is very new, Will you show us the next step for us in our living with you as Lord? And we offer this time to you in your great name. Amen. Uh, This is the seventh of the letters in the book of Revelation. We'll just put the map up. Uh, The last one of these seven, uh, the exiled apostle John in his old age, part of the tribulation that's on all the Christians in that era, the end of the first century, is an exile in Patmos. He's had this revelation of Jesus in his glory and his kingly rule. And the risen Jesus has written these letters to the churches. We've looked at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia. And today the last one, number seven, Laodicea. Uh, Most of them, there's been something good. Uh, Most of them, there's been something not good. Uh, One or two, there's been nothing bad, just encouragement. One or two, not so much good. And here today we find a challenging letter. And it picks up the geographical theme of Laodicea. Laodicea was one of a cluster of three towns sandwiched halfway between Hierapolis and Colossae. Hierapolis had hot springs and you could still go today to the place there and the hot springs would bubble up and you could bath in them. Colossae had a river, cold and refreshing. Laodicea had no water supply, so all the water to Laodicea was piped in, either from Hierapolis or Colossae. The hot water from Hierapolis had cooled down to lukewarm by the time it got to Laodicea. The cool water from the river had warmed up in the hot sun to lukewarm by the time it got to Laodicea. And the poor Laodiceans, their water was revoltingly lukewarm. And the shocking thing is that the risen Lord Jesus says that this church, 
uh, has the same effect on him. Uh, the taste in his mouth of this church is like lukewarm water and he wants to spit them out. It's very, very strong language. Let's look at verse 15 and 16 of our reading. The risen Jesus says to them, I know your deeds. They're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, I wondered about taking a drink of something and spitting it out over the poor suspecting people on the front row. But I thought I wouldn't do that to anybody. Uh, but the risen Lord Jesus says he feels like it. And it is shocking and it is meant to be. You can feel the passion in Jesus, his longing for his people to be fully committed to him. That's the way it's meant to be. He had said in the great commandment, you get this in Matthew 22, 36 and 37, uh, in reply when someone said, Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and in some versions, with all your strength. In other words, with everything you have, your feeling, your thinking, your being, your energy, you are to love God with all of that, uh, because he's made us. That's the way we are wired. Indeed, Augustine famously said, Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. And we live in a restless society. We know the answer is in Jesus, his forgiveness, his love, adoption into his family. And we are to love him with all that we have. But when the world sees the church being lukewarm or half-hearted, they think we don't really mean it. And so this word from the risen Lord Jesus comes saying, will you commit yourself to me? Now, I wonder how you are this morning. You may be on fire for the Lord. I love that video our teenagers put together. Wasn't that brilliant? Thank you, everybody who's worked with our teenagers as children, as youth. It is a joy to see that younger and younger, they are getting keener. That is absolutely fantastic. I wish I had been part of a youth group like that when I was that age. I was half-hearted and I was miserable. I knew it was true. I didn't really have a good group to live it out with and I was not enjoying the Lord or being a Christian. And it's a joy to see them. Uh, they're on fire for the Lord. Or perhaps you see yourself as more someone who is refreshing. You've received from the Lord his peace. And you give that peace and blessing to others. Like a cold drink on a hot day. Gloriously refreshing. Both of those are wonderful. But it may be that for some here today you are feeling lukewarm. And you know this is applying to you. And to all of us, it applies to a greater or lesser extent, because none of us has got this entirely cracked. Uh, in Romans 12:11, Paul tells us never to be lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Uh, and Commitment Sunday every year is an opportunity for us to keep our spiritual fervor. If we've drifted, it's a chance to come back, uh, to get back in tune, to restore perspective. Jesus is our Lord, and that's the way we intend to live. Uh, so let's learn a bit more from Laodicea. Let's put up, let's see what was wrong with them in verses 17 and 18. Jesus says to them, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to come and buy from me, uh, freely in the image of Isaiah, gold refined from the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, salve to put on your eyes so you can see. 
Laodicea was a very prosperous city. And it seemed that that prosperousness had infiltrated the church to the point where they were relying on what they had and not on the risen Lord Jesus. The city was certainly successful and very proud. Uh, it had been destroyed a generation before in AD 60 by an earthquake. Uh, we saw last year, that, last week, that Philadelphia, when it was destroyed, uh, the funding came from Rome to rebuild. Uh, the funding was offered from Rome, but the Laodiceans said, no, thank you very much, we're fine on our own, we'll do it ourselves. And they had rebuilt the city uh, with their own wealth, uh, and they were pretty proud about that. And something of that spirit seems to have infected the church. Jesus said it's very hard for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's not impossible, but it's just the richer we are, the more we rely on what we have. And in world terms, the vast majority of us are in the top couple of percent in terms of affluence. It's very easy for us to rely on our own strengths. And uh, I think we're helping Jesus out a bit, but not to realize how much we need him. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So if you are aware of how much you fall short today, there is a blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Uh, but to those who think they need nothing, the risen Jesus can't give anything. They're not asking for anything. That was the problem with the Pharisees. Uh, now, if you were doing a GCSE in geography or history of Laodicea, there would be three things you would have particularly uh, had to tick off to get your top marks. Laodicea was famous as a banking and finance center. Uh, it was a center of medical expertise, particularly eye ointment, and it was a center of luxurious clothing. Uh, in banking terms, it was the Zurich of, or one of the Zurichs of the ancient world. Cicero, we read, tells us he cashed letters of credit there. Imagine Cicero wandering up to Laodicea. Uh, Roman Express, sir, that will do nicely, sort of thing. Uh, it was famous for that. They had a, an eye hospital. An eye, there was a hospital there where they made an eye salve. Uh, it was a powder in tablet form that could be, uh, no doubt, ground up and watered into making some eye ointment, and it was famous. They had sheep with thick wool that made lovely, glossy, black carpets and clothes. So if you're doing your GCSE, you would tick off Laodicea, banking, eye ointment, wool, and you'd get your top marks. The risen Lord Jesus says, you think you don't need a thing, but you don't realize you're poor, you're blind and you're naked. He picks up these very three things that they would be proud about. Come to me so you can become truly rich, uh, inner riches. Come with me and get new clothes to wear to cover up your spiritual uh, nakedness, if you like. Come to me and put salve on your eyes so you can see the truth as it really is. I wonder what you hear the risen Lord Jesus saying to you today or even through this term as we've looked at him speaking to his church. Are you growing in love for Jesus or are you stuck and lukewarm? Are you aware of your own spiritual need or do you think you're fine? Are you growing in holiness or have you settled for just being respectable? That is the Western British disease in the church, and it's kind of killed it in the last generation. I praise God that there's a new lease of life in his church, in this place and around the nation in different places, a new energy, a new passion, a new determination for mission. But not everybody. Are you thoroughly committed to 
laying what you have before the Lord, it all comes from him anyway, our brains, our gifts, what we're given, what we, the energy to do something with it, and offer it to him. Our time, our energy, our talents, our relationships, our money, our futures. Or are you happy to leave that to everybody else? Uh, do you delight to bring him your worship? Or do you come more to be spiritually entertained? You get the idea, don't you? For these Laodiceans, they may have thought they'd got it all together, but actually they were outwardly fine, but inwardly there wasn't much there. I love the word enthusiasm. It literally means engoddedness, entheosiasm. We need God to fill us with his spirit and give us a passion and energy for him. Now, you may be there thinking, well, this doesn't sound very British to me. It sounds very sort of Mediterranean and feisty, but not very British, not very Anglican. We're not really supposed to be fanatics, are we? And it all depends by what you mean by fanatic. If you mean someone who is an unthinking religious bigot, then no, we're not meant to be fanatics. We're to love the Lord our God with all our minds. We're to think, we're to love him and to love others in a caring, thoughtful, uh, committed way. But if you mean, are we meant to be wholehearted? Yes, we are. There's no doubt. Whenever Jesus talks, uh, we're to love the Lord our God with all that we have. And our half-heartedness makes Jesus feel sick, but it also is no good for us. Uh, I've told my story here many times. As a teenager, yes, I knew it was true. No, I wasn't really living it out, and I was miserable. And I do recommend it, if you want to be miserable, to be a half-hearted Christian. Almost guaranteed. Uh, the way to joy comes as we put Jesus wholeheartedly. And sometimes we need a shock to shock us into that. William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, was stung into action by an atheist who said this, if I believed what you believed, I would crawl across England on my hands and knees if necessary to tell others. If we believe what we say we believe, what are we doing about that? Now for me, when I was 18 and went up for a fresh start at university, an older Christian loved me enough to say, Jonathan, do you believe it's true? Yes, I said. Well, why don't you, with a fresh start, go for it? And that first year of my undergraduate years uh, was, an, it was a sort of honeymoon period, really, where I learned about the Lord, I devoured the scriptures, I was taught, I started serving, I felt an extraordinary joy. I had no intention whatsoever of being ordained. I thought that was stupid and ridiculous, but I was determined to serve the Lord wholeheartedly wherever he led, uh, and that was what led to here. Uh, yesterday afternoon, as I was preparing this sermon and halfway through writing it, uh, Joshua, my youngest, who is at Oxford University, where I'd been a long time ago, had his brother Timmy and Timmy's wife Becca visiting, and they were looking around looking for my old room. Where is it, Dad? So I directed them. And they found my old room and took a picture and sent it to me um, of that first year. And I found myself in tears at my desk because I was just thinking about this. This was where the year that the Lord got me going. All the fuel from my childhood or Sunday school or scripture union camps, all of that got going then. And that was 38 years ago. God has been faithful every step of the way. From time to time, just like you, my faith has gone colder, I've got stuck, and God has brought me back lovingly every time. And that's why I'm unashamed every year to put in a commitment Sunday to the church. 
in case any of us have got stuck, we've lost the way, we've drifted. Today is a chance for us to come back. Jesus is not only the king, he is the kind. And it's good for us, as well as being good for the kingdom. So here is a loving shock to the people of Laodicea who needed it. Uh, And it may be a bit of a jolt to one or two today if we need it. Uh, You see, while the letter is written to a church, the application is to individuals. Let's put up verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So it's written out of love, just as today the risen Lord Jesus loves you and is speaking to you and to me. He tells us to be earnest and repent. And this wonderful picture that we know so well, uh, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. It's a lovely picture of relationship, of fellowship, of intimacy. That's what God desires. He says he loves you. So if he's convicting you of being lukewarm, that's good news. It means you haven't been spat out. (laughs) He, He loves you and is wooing you back to himself, if you like. He died for you. And his attitude is the same as that of the father in the story of the prodigal son. As the son comes back, the father's arms are opened wide. That's Jesus' attitude to you. He calls us to repent where we notice we've drifted. Uh, Not to say, I'll try harder, I'll do it in my own strength. That's not the point. It's to say, I can't do this myself. Lord, I've got so much wrong. I've been selfish. I've been half-hearted. I've been dissatisfied. I've lost the joy and peace. I'm coming back to you. I'm sorry. I think I was very aware of how much my half-heartedness was not doing me any good. But I had no idea how sad it made the Lord feel. That actually it saddened him to feeling nauseous. He felt sick by being lukewarm. And he wanted me to come back to him for him as well as for me. And so he calls us to open up the door of our hearts to him. Now, this is a verse that's often been used to lead people to faith in Jesus for the initial step. You might just like to turn the card over, and we'll put the photo up on the the screens as well. Um, This picture by Holman Hunt, the pre-Raphaelites, of Jesus in his kingly robes, knocking on the door of a human heart. Uh, And the picture there has a heart overgrown. It's never been opened in this picture. He's the light of the world, carrying the light. A a crown of thorns is there. And the old story of how there's no handle on the outside because the handle's on the inside. We have to open it up. And some of you will have come to faith in Jesus with that picture and opened the door of your life to the Lord and he's come in. And I rejoice with you if you're remembering that memory now. There may be one or two who aren't quite there. And if you're not yet a Christian, if you've never bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord, today would be a great day. He invites you to open the door of your life to him and say, I'm sorry for keeping you on the outside. Please come in. Help me to live your way. And I want to be in relationship with you. But the thing about these verses is that they're not primarily written to people who aren't Christians. It's written to a church. And it's about wholeheartedness. It's as if we've invited the Lord into the house of our life. 
as if the Laodiceans had done that, but they've left him standing in the hallway. He's still got his hat and his coat on and his gloves on and his scarf. He wants to be welcome in every room in the house of our lives, uh, in the lounge where we relax our leisure time, in the kitchen, the nitty-gritty of sorting things out, uh, or where we, uh, in the dining room or maybe the kitchen table to be at home with us, in the office or the study or wherever you do your banking and your finances and your admin in the bedroom, the place of relationship. Jesus has made us and invites us, say, will you open your life to me? Every part, your time, your loves, your money, your energies, your hopes, your dreams. And if you will, I will come in and eat with you. That picture of close fellowship, I will walk with you every step of the way. Now, because Christ is the kind as well as the king, he doesn't force his way in. This is an invitation, and it's up to you to respond. Uh, From time to time, someone says to me, Jonathan, it's not working. I just feel my prayers aren't getting through. Uh, God doesn't seem to be doing what I thought he's meant to do. Can I come and have a chat? I say, yes, of course. And I run through a kind of checklist. I say, even before you tell me the situation, let's just, or sometimes they tell me the situation, but let's just go through some basics first. Are you giving? The Lord's given to us. Are we giving to him? If we're not giving back what he's, from what he's already given, what on earth should he give us more? Are you forgiving? He has forgiven us. If there are people you haven't forgiven, it's as if your hands are closed holding on to the grudge. And how can the Lord give you more if your hands aren't open to receive it? And if it's a very painful thing that will need some work on forgiving then you'll need some people to talk and pray that through with you. Are you making time each day to read a bit of the scriptures and to pray for your relationship with the Lord? Are you prioritizing your relationship with the Lord? Or are you saying, because I come to church an hour a week, I expect God to do this for me, and you're feeling a bit entitled? Are you serving? It may be in your jobs. He's called you vocationally to really serve, and that's the prime area of service. It may be uh, in your families it's the prime area. But is there something he's calling you to do through the life of the church? Some will have lots of time, some just a little. What's he calling you to do? Are you meeting up with others to encourage them in a triplet or a formation or a small group, or are you going it alone? These are all steps of, that are essentially basic discipleship things, giving and forgiving, praying, serving, meeting to encourage each other. Uh, Sometimes people are doing all those and it's one of those strange times where God is just withholding for a while. But normally there's a flow as God gives to us and we give back to him. Now some say this is too costly. But as I was preparing this week, as well as uh, earlier in the week, before I'd heard from my boys in Oxford, I was reading the latest Christianity magazine, or maybe it's the one before that, I get it on a bit of a delay, an amazing article about the church in China. Uh, Some of you will know that when Mao Zedong came to power and the missionaries were kicked out, there were at most a million Chinese Christians. It's now, conservative estimates, about 100 million. A huge growth. But President Xi seems determined to clamp down again. Many, many house church leaders have been arrested. Uh, Some of them saying that President Xi seems determined to finish off what Mao started. Now, we know that won't work because the more the church is persecuted, the more it will grow. But the cost is enormous. Listen to this. This is Pastor Wang Yi, uh, 
who wrote a letter saying, if I'm arrested and I haven't reappeared after 48 hours, please will you send this letter around to all the churches? And it's kind of gone viral in China uh, and around the world. He writes this. Separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of, capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth, yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I am imprisoned because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. I read that and thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> I am not worthy. None of us are. Our Christian brothers and sisters in China and other places where they're persecuted, like the early Christians, know what it is to live with Jesus as Lord. We are very privileged. Uh, Christians have gone to the fire for us in this country before, so we are free. And we need to make the most of these freedoms. You're free to stay lukewarm. We don't recommend it. I want to invite you to bow the knee to Jesus afresh as Lord. Uh, we're going to take uh, all the time now to respond. It's not going to be a sort of stand up, come Holy Spirit prayer. I'm going to invite you to prayerfully think through what God is calling you to do. Uh, there may be one or two specific things. It may be to do with your workplace or your relationships, friends, marriage, family, parenting. Uh, think and reflect on those. But I'm sure it will also reflect on our life together as the church. We are the body of Christ. And I'd particularly be grateful if on the back of the cards you would jot down as an offering what God's calling you to do in serving him. It may be exactly the same as what you're doing. You know you're doing what you're meant to be doing. It may be you're doing far too much and you're confused. You just say, Lord, help. I want to really give my energy to what you want me to do. Please show me. It may be you want to chat it through with someone. You can jot that down. It may be you know exactly what it is. And today's the day you're going to say, I am offering myself to serve in whatever it is, the children, the youth, our older people, the technology, events, town-wide stuff, uh, the debt center, the food bank, the street passes, whatever it is. How is God calling you to serve with your time? And the other one is, will you submit your money to the Lord? Often our money is the last thing. Some folks are very good at giving their money and it's their time that's the issue. Some are very good at giving their time, it's the money that's the issue. For all of us, it's really everything. Uh, and this is the annual invitation to think through your regular giving to St. Paul's. Now, most give by standing order through their banks. Uh, so it's a question of you changing that uh, number. Uh, but it's a good chance to pray through, Lord, how have my finances changed? How do I serve you? We recommend tithing. But it's for you freely to give what you choose to give. If you've never started to give, uh, just a couple of verses we always show. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Uh, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Uh, trusting God with our money is a good thing to do. Uh, to trust him with our finance. And then this wonderful promise from Malachi chapter 3. 
Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there won't be room enough to store it. It's not the prosperity gospel that if you give money, you'll be poured out more money. Uh, There are true riches that are far deeper to do with relationship and joy and peace. This is about bringing everything before the Lord and trusting him. But it certainly includes our money. Um, There are at the back, if you would like one, the, if you've never started giving and want to read it through, the giving form with the details of signing up how to reclaim gift aid and our regular budget. Uh, Most of you know that so well, we're not giving that to you, though you can pick one up from the welcome desk if you like. Uh, What we are going to do is just put up on the screens uh, our bank account numbers. Because people always say to me, do you know, I never get round to doing this. (laughs) Give me an opportunity to do it now. You've probably got it on your phones. And if you haven't, you can put that in. Uh, It's an act of worship to the Lord. And you can put that in or do it. But you may want to jot down on your card. I will sort out my giving. I need more time. I'd love Andrew Rolls, the treasurer, to chase me up in a few weeks to make sure I've done it. Or I'm giving the same, or I'm offering... You can write whatever you like. Uh, I am going to look at those cards, so don't tell me numbers if you don't want me to know them. I don't know what most people give. I'm going to pray for everyone, so if you want me to pray for you by name, write your name on it. You don't need to. And if you ask for us to get back to you, I'll ask one of our team to get back to you, depending on whatever the area is. But the idea is that you write your response to the Lord. I want to serve you, but here's, here's how. Jot something down. So the band are going to come back. I'm going to lead in a prayer, and they're going to lead in two songs. The first song is a newish version of the Lord's Prayer. And I'll encourage you to stay sitting while this is playing. Fill in your forms. Uh, Think it through. We're praying for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done, for him to give us our daily bread. His is the glory. And then we're going to stand and sing Cornerstone. Uh, And when you stand... Can I invite you, as we're singing, to come and offer those cards and put them in the baskets that are here at the front that I shall put there now. Uh, And we'll offer them all to the Lord at the end. So, Lord Jesus, we bow before you, Christ the King, Christ the Kind. May nobody feel pressured by me into doing this, but may we hear your divine knock on the door of our heart, on the door of our wallet, on the door of our calendar, on the door of our relationships. Give us grace by your spirit to welcome you in, not grudgingly, but to come in and eat with us. And may we know your presence with us. And will you release the resources that are needed in this church family uh, along the way for us to do what you're calling us to do. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's sing, let's write, and then let's make our offering.